As dawn was breaking, a crowd of heavily armed men stormed into the village. And as they went through the village, they killed randomly men, women and children as they went. And as they concluded that, they grabbed others and they dragged them away into captivity. Who were these people? Well, I'm not talking about the Hamas terrorists from Gaza of a few months ago. Turn the clock back 2,900 years and meet the Assyrians. The Assyrians, they were a nation back in 5,000 BC, became one of the early world superpowers, and they were known as merciless, brutal, cruel people. Now, this is a sermon, not a history lesson, but the Bible is grounded in history. The Bible is history, and God works out his purposes in history. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and Assyria and Nineveh feature in the Bible right from Genesis, where we read about the foundation of Nineveh by a hunter named, Nineveh, named Nimrod, right through to almost the end of the Old Testament, the prophecy of Zephaniah. And moving on to the New Testament, Jesus refers to the people of Nineveh. Well, how does Assyria fit into God's plans? And do we really care about it? Well, it's my privilege this morning to look into the word of God with you and to see how God worked his plans out in this nation of Assyria and amongst his people. So let's ask God to help us learn something and understand his workings in this world. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths that you bring us as we read it. And as we look into the scriptures this morning, we pray that you'll open our eyes, give us understanding of your truths, and see how your workings pan out in the history of this world that you created. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Firstly, we meet the God of mercy. Well, who rules this world? Back in the early 9th century BC, an Assyrian king named Ashurnazipal and his son followed him, Shalmaneser. They thought they ruled the world. They conquered countries that surrounded them and then they, then they proceeded to conquer other countries all around the Mediterranean Sea. They slaughtered, intimidated, and extorted as they went around. From the words of Ashenazipal himself, I launched the attack and crossed the Orontes. The Orontes was one of the major rivers in Syria, or Aram as we sometimes hear referred to. I conquered the cities. I caused great slaughter. I destroyed, I demolished, I burned. I took their warriors prisoner and impaled them on stakes before their cities. He wasn't a nice man. And back around 750 BC, 
God calls out Assyria for their behaviour, for their cruelty, for their viciousness, for their sin. And he sends a prophet, Jonah. We read in Jonah, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judge, judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Well, I'm sure you know the story of Jonah, one of the great Sunday school stories. Jonah was told to go to the northeast and he grabbed a ship that was going west as quick as he could. He thought he could get away from God. But it didn't work out quite that way because God turned things around and as we know, if we know the story, a great storm blew up. Jonah had to own up to the fact that he was the cause of the problem, was thrown overboard, swallowed by a great fish. And after God gave him a bit of time to contemplate on what he was doing and what he should be doing, the fish spat him out on the shore and God gave him a new instruction. Get on with a job, which was read to us a little earlier, as we saw in the Bible readings which Hugo brought to us. So finally Jonah followed God's command. He went to Nineveh. He went to this capital of Assyria, no doubt shaking in his boots, terrified of these people who caused so much havoc around the world for so many years. And he preached God's message to them. No doubt hoping that they would ignore it and they would be destroyed because he really didn't want to see the Assyrians rescued. But they did. They changed their ways. And when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. What a disappointment to poor Jonah. A narrow escape for the Assyrians. But they didn't rest on that salvation that they received then. Just a few years later, another Assyrian king came to the throne and more aggressive Assyrian invasions began under a king called Tiglath-Pileser. Again, on the move, and as brutal as before. Can they get away with it? They've seen God's mercy once. Will it happen again? Well, we move on and see the God of judgment. And as we look at this part of the story, we go back a few more centuries, back to the 10th century BC. King Solomon was on the throne. King Solomon was the son of King David, and King David had been promised that one of his sons would always be on the throne of Israel. Solomon started out well, but it didn't last. Solomon married many foreign wives, many foreign wives who worshipped foreign gods, and he himself started to follow in their worship. 
God had had enough of Solomon, but he had promised David that his son would remain on the throne, that when Solomon was to die, he would be, his kingdom would be divided. God sent a prophet to one of Solomon's officers, a man named Jeroboam. Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, we often read about in the scriptures. And this is what the Lord of God, uh, Lord of Israel says, I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon. For Solomon has abandoned me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Molech, the god of the Ammonites. He has not followed my ways and done what is pleasing in my sight. He has not obeyed my decrees and regulations as David his father did. That was the message that this prophet gave to Jeroboam. And he told Jeroboam that he would be given ten of the tribes of Israel. And in around 930 BC, the kingdom was divided into two. Jeroboam became the king of the northern half, which became known as Israel, while Rehoboam, Solomon's son, became the king of the southern half, known as Judah. But the disobedience continues. Jeroboam recognised very early on that if these people were to continue to follow God's laws, then it would probably take them back to Jerusalem, where they had to go to celebrate the great festivals. And as they went back to Jerusalem, they might just decide to stay there, and he would lose his kingdom. So Jeroboam set up two new shrines, one in the south and one in the north of his country, and said, you don't need to go all the way to Jerusalem to worship God. Do it at these two places. It's much easier for you, much more convenient. Take it easy. And those shrines, which initially were sort of supposed to be worshipping the Lord God, really became idolatrous shrines and led the people more and more into idolatry. The people of God repeatedly failed to recognise that disobeying God has its consequences. The kingdom of God, the kingdom was divided and that disobedience simply continued. Some 70 years after Jeroboam came to the throne, God sent some more prophets along to the northern kingdom of Israel, to Jeroboam's kingdom. Hosea, if you read this prophecy of Hosea, it's mostly about adultery because God compares the behaviour of his people who were supposed to be his bride as adulterous wives. And Je Hosea writes, the people of Israel have become like silly, witless doves, first calling to Egypt, then flying to Assyria for help. Have you got a problem? Are you in trouble? Don't ask God to help you. Political alliances might work better. Try some of the other countries 
and see if they can help you as well. And then Amos. Amos, well, he wasn't, he wasn't a proper prophet. He hadn't been to Moore College. He hadn't trained. He was a farmer. And God took him out of his farm and sent him to Israel to denounce the sins of Israel, to denounce the king, who was also called Jeroboam, who was the second Jeroboam, and the priesthood, which Jeroboam had set up, the first Jeroboam had set up a priesthood which defied all God's instructions regarding priests, and the people who had simply followed on. Amos. What does he do? He goes to Israel and he stands up in the centre of Israel to say, this is what the Lord says. The people of Israel have sinned again and again and I will not let them go unpunished. A bit later on we read, I the sovereign Lord am watching the sinful nation of Israel. I will destroy it from the face of the earth but I will never completely destroy the family of Israel, says the Lord. Israel is heading for judgment. In its 200-year history, Israel had nine dynasties of kings, and seven of those dynasties started with the assassination of the previous king. Around the middle of the 8th century BC, after two successive kings had been assassinated, a man named Menahem seized the throne. And we read about Menahem. Menahem did what was evil in the Lord's sight. During his entire reign, he refused to turn from the sins that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had led Israel to commit. Then... King Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria invaded the land. But Menahem paid him 37 tons of silver to gain his support in tightening his grip on royal power. They never learned, they never realised that disobeying God has its consequences. Menahem managed to get a bit of relief by paying paying off the king of Assyria. But his son succeeded him and he was assassinated. And he was assassinated by a man named Pekah. Pekah became the king. During Pekah's reign, King Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria attacked Israel again. And he captured the towns of Ijon, Abelbeth-Maaka, Janoa, Kedesh and Hazor. He also conquered the regions of Gilead, Galilee, and all of Naphtali. And he took the people of Assyria as captives. The list of towns there don't mean much to us, but they were actually a string of towns along the northeastern border of the country of Israel. And they were all taken by Assyria. But Pekah didn't last either. Hoshea, the son of Elah, assassinated him and Elah began to, uh, Hoshea began to rule over Israel. He did. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. And King Shalmaneser of Assyria attacked Hoshea, so Hoshea was forced to pay heavy tribute 
to Assyria. But Hosea stopped paying the annual tribute and conspired against the king of Assyria by asking King Saul of Egypt to help him shake free from Assyria's power. When the king of Assyria discovered this treachery, he seized Hosea and put him in prison. You can't mess with the kings of Assyria. Then the king of Assyria invaded the entire land and for three years he besieged the city of Samaria. Finally, in the ninth year of King Hosea's reign, Samaria fell. Samaria, the capital of Israel, and the people of Israel were exiled to Assyria. A little bit later in Two Kings, we're given a a review of the situation. The people of Israel persisted in all the evil ways of Jeroboam. They did not turn from these sins until the Lord finally swept them away from his presence, just as all his prophets had warned. So Israel was exiled from their land to Assyria, where they remain to this day. This day, of course, was a time when the Book of Two Kings was written. Since then, they have completely disappeared. They're no longer to be found in that area where they were exiled to. God used Assyria, this pagan nation, to judge his people, to destroy his people, in fact, because they had totally rejected him. Meanwhile, in the south, the land of Judah, well, God, as I mentioned before, had promised King David that his descendants would always reign on the throne. All the kings of Judah, some were good, most were bad, but all the kings of Judah were descendants of David. But just like Israel, they started to trust in foreign alliances rather than in God. In 734 BC, Judah was attacked by a coalition of Israel in the north, Syria or Aram in the northeast, and Edom in the south. He was under pressure. His kingdom was under threat. What was he going to do? Well, God sent him a message through the prophet Isaiah. What did the prophet Isaiah have to say to King Ahaz? Tell him to stop worrying. Tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of these two burned-out embers, King Rezin of Syria and Pekah, son of Remaliah. Yes, the kings of Syria and Israel are plotting against him, saying, yea, we will attack Judah and capture it for ourselves. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. This invasion will never happen. It will never take place. Ah, oh, what a relief for Ahaz. It's not going to happen. Uh-uh. Ahaz wouldn't listen. He didn't want to listen to God. Rather, King Ahaz sent messengers to King, oh, oh, King Tiglath, Belazer of Assyria, with this message. I am your servant and your vassal. Come up and rescue me from the attacking armies of Aram and Israel. 
And Ahaz took the silver and gold from the temple of the Lord and the palace treasury and sent it as a payment to the Assyrian king. Well, he robbed the, He didn't bother asking the Lord for help, but he took his money to pay off the Assyrians. So the king of Assyria attacked the Aramean capital of Damascus and led its population away as captives, resettling them in Kerr. He also killed King Rezin. Well, at least that got Ahaz off the hook, didn't it? But his plan backfired. Oh dear. King Ahaz of Judah asked the asked the king of Assyria for help, but the Lord, but the Lord was humbling Judah because of King Ahaz of Judah, for he had encouraged his people to sin and had been utterly unfaithful to the Lord. So when King Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria arrived, he attacked Ahaz instead of helping him. You can't trust these Assyrians. Let's always look after number one. Well, what's going to happen next? Oh, we meet Hezekiah, one of the good guys. Hezekiah was Ahaz's son, but he didn't follow in the family footsteps. Thankfully, we read about Hezekiah. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, whether before or after his time. He remained faithful to the Lord in everything, and he carefully obeyed all the commands the Lord had given Moses. So the Lord was with him, and Hezekiah was successful in everything he did. He revolted against the king of Assyria and refused to pay him tribute. Well, that was a good start. Refusing to pay tribute to the king of Assyria was a bit risky, though, wasn't it? And because Judah had been so sinful in the past, well, you just can't escape the sins of the past. What's going to happen next? In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, King Sennacherib of Assyria came to attack the fortified cities of Judah and conquered them. And the king of Assyria sent his chief of staff from Lachish with a huge army to confront King Hezekiah in Jerusalem. Then the Assyrian king's chief of staff told them to give this message to Hezekiah. This is what the great king of Assyria says. What are you trusting in that makes you so confident? Do you think that mere words can substitute for military skill and strength? Who are you counting on that you have rebelled against me? Oh, you can't beat me. I'm the king of Assyria. After Hezekiah received this letter from the messengers and read it, he went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed this prayer before the Lord. O Lord of heaven's armies, God of Israel, you are enthroned between the mighty cherubim you alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. You alone created the heavens and the earth. Bend down, O Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to Sennacherib's words of defiance against the living God. 
It is true, Lord, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations and they've thrown the gods of these nations into the fire and burned them. But of course the Assyrians could destroy them. They were not gods at all, only idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. Now, O Lord our God, rescue us from this power then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Hezekiah did what none of his predecessors seemed to be interested in doing. He prayed. And what a prayer he prayed. There's some great prayers in the Bible, but I think Hezekiah's prayer is up there with some of the best. As he comes to the Lord in penitence and faith and determination to honour God above all else. Hezekiah prayed and God answered. Which leads us on to the God of justice. Hezekiah prayed that God would rescue his people. And that night the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. When the surviving Assyrians wake up, woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. Then King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp and returned to his own land. He went home to his capital of Nineveh and stayed there. But he didn't manage to stay there very long because we read in two chronicles. Sennacherib was forced to return home in disgrace to his own land. And when he entered the temple of his God, some of his own sons killed him there with a sword. Two of Sennacherib's sons assassinated their father. And a third son, Esarhaddon, became the new king of Assyria. we see the beginnings of the prophecy of Isaiah being fulfilled. What did Isaiah say? After the Lord has used the king of Assyria to accomplish his purposes on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, he will turn against the king of Assyria and punish him, for he is proud and arrogant. He boasts, by my own powerful arm I have done this, with my own shrewd wisdom I planned it. I have broken down the defences of nations and carried off their treasures. I have knocked down their kings like a bull. But all must give account of their actions to the Lord. There is no escape. It's some 60 years or so after that that God sent a message to another prophet, Nahum. This message concerning Nineveh came as a vision to Nahum. And God said to Nahum, The Lord is slow to get angry, but his power is great, and he never lets the guilty go unpunished. This is what the Lord says. Though the Assyrians have many allies, they will be destroyed and disappeared. And what sorrow awaits Nineveh, the city of murder and lies, 
She is crammed with wealth and is never without victims. There is, there is no healing for your wound. Your injury is fatal. All who hear of your destruction will clap their hands for joy. Where can anyone be found who has not suffered from your continual cruelty? The greatest city in the world, as it was in its last 50 years of existence, believed to be the biggest city in the world at that time, is doomed. The prophet Zephaniah takes up the same theme. The Lord will strike the lands of the north with his fist, destroying the land of Assyria. He will make its great capital Nineveh a desolate wasteland, parched like a desert. <coughs> Babylon. Babylon was one of the victims of Assyria, along with so many others. And together with some other victims, Babylon managed to rise up against Assyria and managed to gain its independence from Assyria. And finally, in 612 BC, attacked and destroyed the city of Nineveh. The power of Assyria was ended. Assyria, Nineveh itself was destroyed. Its ruins covered by the desert sands for centuries, never seen again until 1845 when it was dug up. It remains there on the banks of the River Tigris in northern Iraq today. God is not mocked. It's not quite the end of the story because Jesus himself assures us of the reality of God's judgment. And as he speaks to the people of his day who rejected him and his teaching, Jesus said, the people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it. For they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah, who really didn't want to be there at all. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. The little postscript to this story, Jesus' last instruction to his followers before he returned to his father was to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations. And it's believed that two of those disciples, Thomas and Bartholomew, went northeast to where the Assyrians used to have their headquarters and preached to the descendants of the survivors of the Assyrians. In the first century AD, a church was established amongst the Assyrian remnant. A church was established. It's had a checkered history down the centuries. It's had division. It's suffered persecution, being surrounded by Muslim countries and people. But the Assyrian church remains today strong and persecuted in that area where the Assyrians used to rule, but also spread around the world. As a result of their persecutions, Assyrians have migrated around the world. 
We even have several Assyrian churches here in Sydney. And the gospel message continues to go out from that nation, the people of that nation who were so violent, so rejecting of God's law and yet repented and finally came to know the truth of the salvation of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your workings in the history and in the lives of people everywhere. And we thank you for the mercy that you show to those who turn to you in repentance and faith. We thank you, Lord, that we can know that salvation which is ours in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that you will help us to share that truth with others. And we ask in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. Amen.